All of us at Shift Shapers are thankful for your continued support and this encore episode of Shift Shapers. If a 10-year-old concept known as direct primary care is getting traction with clients, what does its next generation look like and how will that help it to become more of an employer play? We'll find out on this episode of Shift Shapers. Change either paralyzes or energizes. The choice is yours. You're listening to the Shift Shapers podcast. You're about to learn firsthand from businesses and entrepreneurs who have successfully shaped the shifts in their industries. Get ready to become the change that you want to see. Here's your host and chief transformation strategist, David Saltzman. This episode of the Shift Shapers podcast is brought to you by Captivated Health, a captive insurance arrangement designed specifically for educational institutions. If you have clients in that vertical, you know the healthcare deck has been stacked against them. Today, Captivated Health offers the stability, control, and savings they've been waiting for. For more information, go to www.captivatedhealth.com or click on the company logo on the Shift Shapers website. On episode 188 of Shift Shapers, we spoke with Dr. Jeff Gold, who runs a direct primary care practice in Marblehead, Massachusetts. And we talked to Jeff about direct primary care from the vantage point of a physician. And it resonated with a lot of you because I got probably more feedback on that episode than on any that we've done in a while. And so we we decided it would be good to do a follow-up to that discussion that we had with Jeff, with someone who's kind of on the other side of the industry, building out a direct primary care group of practices and doing some really unique things. And we're pleased to be speaking with John Hernandez. John is CEO at Peak Med Direct Primary Care. They're doing a lot of very interesting stuff in their practice. John is a deep student of the business and some of the things that are happening to move it forward and to drive better engagement with the employer communities, which I know is of interest to a lot of you who are listening. So with that, enough blabbing. Welcome, John. Thanks a lot, David. Appreciate you sharing your expertise with our audience. Take us through the history of different DPC models going all the way back to maybe concierge and that kind of stuff. What what did those models look like? Well, the concierge model started early on. It was basically uh, a model by which a lot of fee-for-service physicians that take the insurance side of the fence and are reimbursed by the insurance companies, they basically put together a member model extension to their business. So what they did is they went out and they started converting their patients, typically their existing panels, and they would move them from an insurance-based over to a membership-based reimbursement plan, delivering much higher quality care because they're spending more time with their patients, but they would tend to maintain a fee-for-service relationship with the insurance companies and still would have you know billing or billable events that would then go back through the insurance companies, claims would still be filed, money would then come back in, and you would also have in parallel to that the membership fees. That was the concierge side. There's also a combination of other types of organizations that have implemented membership-based fees. On-site, near-site providers have extensions of membership fees as well. 
Many of those include setting up an, an on-site clinic at an employer site. They then cap the employers capitalize and they launch these locations. And then they tend to offer episodic care. So it's very much patients when they don't feel well, they'd come through the front door, get taken care of, and there would be a fixed monthly fee associated with that to help provide that primary care service on-site within an employer's environment. They then added a nearsight solution, typically, where the nearsight would sit within proximity of where the employers are located, and something similar in fashion, where it was very much kind of geared towards an episodic care provider set, also known quite often as like a dock in the box. Not a lot of prevention. There's not a lot of clinical integration. There wasn't much going on. If you didn't feel well, you showed up at one of these locations and they would take care of you. So you'd had the concierge model on one side of the fence, kind of providing a higher quality, spend more time with patients, reduce your patient panel sizes. And then you had the on-site near-site providers that were in there working directly with employers, typically self-funded employers, that would then extend this into an episodic based primary care program. Those were those were kind of the foundational programs that were available before. But those models didn't get us where we needed to go, did they? They're, they they each had built-in kind of deficiencies. Correct. So typically the deficiency in a concierge practice was you were solving a lot of the access issues, but it was for people that could afford it. So the tendency was is that, you know, most people that were being told by their physician that they had to now pay membership fees they then also had to carry their full-fledged insurance. So now you're, you've got a full insurance product that you're paying for, as well as now you have your fees tied to the membership side. So therefore, a lot of people ended up saying, you know what, that's too much money. We can't afford that. So they ended up leaving those concierge providers and going, staying within the fee-for-service world on that end. So that was the weakness of the concierge side of it. Now, many concierge practices over time have tried to resolve those issues by shifting price and seeing if there if there wasn't ways for them to uh, provide, you know, kind of a broader spectrum of patients coming through at different price levels. That was the concierge world. On the on-site, near-site, a lot of the weaknesses there were they very much focused in on the dock-in-the-box level of treatment, meaning you're getting primary care services. You did have the option of both bringing in your employees and your dependents with children into a, into a clinic location, but it's typically for flus, colds, you know, standard issues that, you know, people just have on a day in and day out basis, but they weren't doing extended services. So they were very limited in scope and they were also limited in time. A lot of these on-site near-site clinics were then set up maybe to only operate two to three days a week with limited staff and limited hours. So those solutions had some weaknesses along the way that prevented people from actually feeling like they were getting a better product of care. How exactly does direct primary care solve those issues? So a true direct primary care, in my opinion, and there's now variations on the market, true direct primary care is we've actually separated yourself completely from insurance-based reimbursement. When you take a step outside of insurance-based reimbursement and you go into what we call the pure DPC mode, that's basically where you're now setting a, a primary care solution that's based on an economic model that's closer to that of Netflix for healthcare. It's a monthly residual income stream. It's a low cost income stream that allows for a much broader spectrum of people to come in 
no matter what their their net in, or net worth is. So when they come through the front door of this location for a monthly fee, they typically then get 24/7 access to their primary care physician. They get unlimited access to all of the amenities of that facility and these facilities are set up in such a way where now they're starting to add a lot more broad level services. So it's not just primary care. Now you've got pharmacies built into these. You've got even some physical therapy, functional joint testing, behavioral health. So these facilities are starting to expand and add additional service lines that are much more comprehensive and vertically integrated to provide the the highest level of care option possible. That's typically what a true, what we call a true pure DPC provider is looking to do. Did that facilitate the ability for some of these practices to say, okay, well, rather than saying we've got a hundred bucks to spend or whatever the dollar amount is, or we feel the market will bear a hundred dollars to say, what's the price point at which we can deliver that basic care? And then how do we deliver value with the remainder of the money rather than just pricing to market? Well, that's the approach that we actually took. So when we sat back one day, we said, okay, we know that at that point, the average membership fee was sitting anywhere between $75 to $100 for a base primary care solution. That was kind of the market average. And this was back in 2014. And so when we studied that, we said, okay, well, that's primary care only. And when we say primary care, that's your basic primary care functions, family medicine functions. So we took a step back and we said, well, man, how much value can we actually build into that price point? What we figured out is that we were literally able to deliver a family-based medical solution at half the price. And so we looked at that and said, okay, so around a $55 price point now, we could start with that as our baseline and then expand. We have $45 more to put to work. Where can we put that $45? So as you start thinking about spending this money, it actually, the equations start to change. That's where the economics actually change. $45 can do a lot of really fantastic things. So that's where you start studying the data and technology, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a little bit. But when you have data and technology, you could start understanding the information of where people are, what, where the care is needed and the types of service lines that are needed to serve a population. So then you sit back and say, okay, what can $4 do in a fully integrated lab solution? Can we integrate all labs into our fixed fee solution for four more dollars? Is that possible in this population? Can you now implement fully integrated prescriptions, non-specialty drug prescriptions? Can you build that into a fixed fee structure? Are you able to keep going? How far can you go with service lines that then, you know, reach to the point where you've created as much value within the same dollar amount that others are doing at a, just a base primary care family medicine? And now a word from our sponsor. Captivated Health is a single source solution for your clients and prospects who are in the education vertical. The founders of Captivated Health have nearly 20 years experience working with educational institutions, and over that time, they've developed a keen understanding of the unique problems these clients experience. Frustrated by a lack of control, the unpredictability of ever-increasing health care costs, and the pressures and regulations of the Affordable Care Act, these groups have been adrift in the fully insured commercial marketplace until now. 
Captivated Health has built a program that solves those problems, and it does so with virtually no disruption to faculty and staff while saving clients millions of dollars. We wanted you to be among the first to know that Captivated Health is building a national distribution partner network so you can bring this cutting-edge solution to the educational clients you advise. To learn more about the Captivated Health solution, go to their website at www.captivatedhealth.com or click on their logo on the Shift Shapers website. And now, back to our interview. And as sophisticated as the offerings have become, it still seems as though it's a model that attracts individuals rather than employers. I know there's been some small change in that, but I wonder if it's because it's been difficult for some of these DPC practices where the doctors were more reticent to get into keeping the kind of records that they thought they needed for insurance companies like coding and whatnot, not for billing, but so that they could at some point show a demonstrable, repeatable ROI. Have, have you found that? And, and if so, how do you move that mountain? Well, there's really two ga- two categories of DPCs. There are those direct primary care providers that are kind of what we call lifestyle-based DPCs. They are typically one, two, three, four doctor groups, and they are designed to kind of maximize to a patient panel of about 700 members per doctor. And then once they've hit the 700 members per doctor, they've hit what we call kind of the lifestyle threshold. They're, they're in business. They're making money. They're in a sustainable, their, their, their operations and business is completely sustainable. So therefore they've now kind of done their thing, checked the box, and there's not much scale happening beyond that point. And then if you look at what types of patients they're serving, Traditionally, those patients then are consumers, they're families, individuals that have found out about the direct primary care available to them within a market. And then they've, you know, become members of that DPC. And now, now they go from there. Then there's a, another category of DPCs that are primarily focused in on the employer lane, which is they're signing contracts directly with typically self-funded employers and those self funded employers are looking for ROI. And and that's where brokers typically are involved, consultants, advisors that are involved in looking at how the direct primary care is impacting total cost of care. And when you really look at it, the average DPC that's working with employers in a self-funded structure should be saving anywhere between 15 to sometimes as high as 30% year over year on total cost of care. That should be the target. And what you have to do then at that point is you have to have data analytics that that allow you to evaluate how total cost of care is being impacted within that population. And when I refer to total cost of care, that's, that's basically everything, right? That's basically your pharmacy spend, your labs, your imaging, your downstream specialty care, hospitalizations, emergency, urgent care. All of those types of elements are things that a really good direct primary care provider can actually impact. 
DPCs have the ability to impact all of those other cost areas significantly enough to the point where a self-funded employer should be able to save at least 15, if not up to 30% year over year. That's the equation that needs to be solved for from an ROI perspective. Is it a an evolution of lifestyle-based DPC docs to a more employer lane doc, or do you see it being two different communities and remaining that way? Well, I mean, I think the lifestyle-based direct primary cares that are still small in size where they've not filled up their patient panels, they would like to be in the employer arena, if you will. They just typically don't have the ability to go out and create sales channels, promotion, marketing. They don't have typically the technology that's required to engage with the employer or through a broker to help validate the outcomes, clinical performance, financial performance. They tend not to have those tools in their toolbox to be able to go do that in the employer realm. So they tend to then stay on the consumer individual family market side because those requirements usually aren't there. Most consumers, once they get access, that's all you need to do. And there's not any validation, quote unquote, required to maintain the connection with that individual. So there's a whole new set of tools, in other words, that you have to have in your back pocket to be able to go out and perform well for the employer communities. How do you get from point A to point B? I mean, it's obviously a, even though the original model is 10-ish years old, how, how do you evolve? What is, how do you get those tools into the hands of those, those docs who do want to either fill up their practices or move beyond the, the lifestyle kind of practice-based model? Well, you know, I've had a lot of conversations about that. The, the question is, is how do you scale? If you look at the capital markets and people that are interested in investing in direct primary care right now, their number one question is, how do you scale direct primary care? How will any one group touch every square corner of this country with this solution? Here's the key. Everybody knows direct primary care is an extremely viable and solid foundation solution to help influence a redesign of our health and care in this country. I think everybody acknowledges that point. We're changing the economics, improving quality and access. All of those elements are being addressed along the way. The question is, how do you scale? So one of the things that we've been focused on as an organization is we're we're doing everything we can to learn almost like using our peak med locations as a way for us to experience what it takes to scale this model. What are the tools, the technology? What are the connections you have to have through broker and consulting relationships? How do you maintain relationships with other cost containment partners that are helping to deliver really cool solutions that are driving down the cost of our healthcare system? How do you get that in place and do it in such a way that it's highly repeatable and you could take it in multiple markets across the country? So we are actually, by design, focused on that element of it. It's almost like PeakMed is a, to some degree, kind of a test bed for us to really understand those moving parts and to see if we can't then take those parts and empower other value-based care providers, other DPCs in the space by giving them the same access to the tools that PeakMed has access to and be able to deliver that 
to the rest of the market to help drive community around it, to build a movement around it. And let's, let's see if we could then su- provide a support system that's highly repeatable for those that are around us. In the couple of minutes that we have left, is it, is it too early to ask if you've gleaned any usable insights yet from your study and from your research? We have incredible study and research. I could spend another hour on that topic. For example, right now, we know that in direct primary care, the average, or sorry, in the fee-for-service world, the average fee-for-service patient sees their primary care physician 1.3 times per year, which basically means that's nothing more than maybe a well exam plus a little bit more. And what's interesting in, in the direct primary care space is we are about improving utilization. It's the exact opposite of what everybody actually thinks. Historically, capitation, using the word capitation meant that you would get a fixed amount of money coming in every month for a population, fixed population number of lives. And then it was kind of in doctors were incentivized to actually see the patients the least amount possible because they were getting a fixed amount of money. So they were trying to maximize the element of money. That's where capitation was in a fee-for-service capitated world. And what we've done is we've inversed that. So 1.3 fee-for-service visits per year. In our world, we are eight times the level of utilization in our environment, which means people are coming in to actually think about prevention. They're coming in and actually doing biometric screenings. We have in-body scans. We're doing functional joint assessments, pre-injury analysis, post-injury So people are coming in not just because they're sick. They're coming in because they have access to a nutritionist. They're coming in because they they want an exercise prescription or to get their body measured so they could understand exactly what they should be doing and having the support system in place to go do it. So it's, oh, by the way, we also deliver primary care. Primary care is an element of what we do, but we need to change the behavior. And the data behind all that is proving that clinical outcomes in in this type of setting is actually going the correct direction. We are bending the cost curves for downstream specialty care in an incredible way. We had one of our clients, 38%, it was a school district, 38% are going into or or having claims in a behavioral health setting. 38% of a school district has behavioral health claims. We then turn around and we implement our a fully integrated behavioral health program. We have saved that school district over $300,000 a year just by implementing a behavioral health solution. And it only costs them 10 more dollars per month. And it's because we had the data to, to know exactly where we would go to help drive downstream savings by bringing better service lines to the table. It's all in the data. And that's a great place to end our interview for today. But John, we hope as you scale out and you learn more things that you'll come back and share those insights with us. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on the show. You're welcome. John Hernandez, CEO at Peak Med Direct Primary Care. The Shift Shapers podcast is a production of Strategic Vision Publishing and David Saltzman. This podcast may not be reproduced in any form, in whole or in part, without the express written permission of the producers. All rights reserved.